Hello, my name is Naveed Minhas, the FS Digital Platform Leader in the Middle East with PwC. 2020 has been an unprecedented year so far, with 5G suddenly becoming controversial, with social media battles playing out on what's right to post, but more significantly, COVID-19 that's disrupted all our lives. Where planes stopped flying, GDPs got dented, and working from home became a norm. Inevitably, consumer habits have changed. Yet in all this turmoil, many in the financial industry see COVID-19 as an agent of change to introduce digital transformation. With this backdrop, we at PwC were keen to understand the thoughts of our leaders in the financial industry. So in this series of podcasts, we'll be asking our guests, what's your why for FS in digital? So please join and share your comments for us to engage in the months ahead. Hi, welcome. My name is Naveed Minas, and I'm your host for this episode of What's Your Why for FS in Digital? As this summer begins to come to a conclusion, it's been one of many extremes with very few precedents. With most global economies dealing with a second surge, even the UK now is down almost 20% in terms of economic activity where this week the UK Chancellor of Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, referred to events as unprecedented. And for today's episode, given the focus in the industry today for reinventing itself, we wanted to focus on how banking could reinvent itself for customers. It therefore gives me great pleasure to welcome Andrew Tava, the CEO of Jigsaw XYZ, a successful London fintech that is focused on developing platforms that drive the personalization of financial products for the industry. Andrew, welcome. Hi, Navid. Hi, Deb. Good. Um, Andrew, we've known each other since 2017. Um, we've burnt the midnight oil a few times. Uh, there have been many, many uh, nights for ideation and execution. Um, your good judgment has allowed us to drive the technology agendas of various customers uh, like ENBD and Fab. Yeah, in, in the region, yes. But probably the reason why we've been burning midnight oil is also other global regions, US, out into Asia, etc. So yeah, a, a good global view. I'm glad you mentioned that because that sort of leads into the first question. Uh, looking at the global banking results this summer, uh, we've had groups like JP Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo put aside almost 25 billion US dollars for potential losses this year. And yet on the other side, only this last week, we've had um, the UK Competition and Markets Authority published the survey results of 19,000 customers who all said that in terms of the quality of online banking experiences, uh, banks like Starling, Onzo, and even First Direct came up tops. So with that in mind, the first question is, where do you think banking could start with reinventing itself for customers? I think, good question. There are the two points you've made and two very different examples in that point. Um, but my view is that they're actually both connected by the customer. So, you know, your, your question is spot on. Let me provide some examples. The first point, um, banks globally, not just the US, are setting aside billions of dollars. Um, and those billion do billions of dollars are to cover impairments, um, defaults on credit products. And those credit products are both personal and SME. Why? Because the banks don't know their customers. Very simple. Um, which if you think about it, is quite crazy because there is regulation globally that states financial institutions must know your customer. Um, 
So let me give an example of what, why I make such a statement. And I, let's step through a lending product. Uh-huh. So at the moment, as a customer in most banks around the world, I realize I need some money. So I need access to credit. When I de- identify this, I have to apply to every individual bank um, through their process. Um, and every bank will collect my information either manually or digitally from me. Um, the bank will then use that data to run a set of checks. Um, some will augment it with other data, such as external credit ratings, but each bank will come up with their own quote. Uh, and that quote will get back to me again manually or digitally. I will then accept one of those quotes. And then the bank will onboard me as a customer if I'm new, and they'll transfer the funds. And that's it. That's my relationship done with that bank until I repay, either scheduled early or I default. And this is the unknown that the banks are having to build the provisions against, the default option. They have no intelligence after issuing that loan, that credit product, on whether I'm going to repay or default. And what COVID's brought us is that both from an SME and from a personal banking perspective, there is a greater risk that I actually will become a default because I've become unemployed or my SME business has become under stress or I can't get the temporary work that I used to get. If banks knew their customer and had an ongoing relationship with them, they wouldn't have to build such big provisions for the unknown. So going to your second part of the question, how did the challengers approach this? The challengers approach this in a different way in the sense of they're trying to build a knowledge and understanding of their customer at the core. And then what they do is potentially sell products to them. But they don't start with the mentality of, I'm going to sell you a product. And that becomes a different architecture of customer intimacy. I am trying to learn through a technology stack about the Mm -hmm. customer need, and then Mm -hmm. I may be able to help them with that need, either via a marketplace of products for other providers like Starling and Monzo both do, or through products that in the future I may build for myself. So let me just take that similar flow that I just did with the traditional banks in a new world paradigm, for example. So rather than me realizing as an individual or as a company that I need, need a credit product, a bank is supporting me every day to work out how my finances have changed and would proactively tell me that they think there is a need to either change something in my business or give me access to some additional credit to allow me to either grow or survive. Um, they would help me publish that need into a marketplace of other providers, not just themselves. I would then get a fair view across that marketplace of who was able to offer me credit on what terms. And this is very consistent with um, Amberine and Sukumal. Um, the conversation you're having in the previous podcast. So a long answer to your question, this is about customers, it's about understanding their need, it's about helping them request what they need, it's about a marketplace to satisfy that need, and it's about helping banks dynamically manufacture, price, and remark financial products every day. Intimacy with clients. Intimacy with every single customer using data is critical. That's a really great start, Andrew, where you, again, concluded with the word intimacy. Uh, but the core theme of, of your answer really was in reinventing ourselves, we need to be able to collect more and more insights uh, with data coming in to drive the products that are going to drive customer choice for us as well. But today we live in a paradigm where you know, we've got um, much e-commerce happening with Amazon, with insights. Uh, we've got ourselves being consumed to create data insights for Netflix. Um, and yet we've got technology stacks and banks 
pushing products that banks have developed. How do you see this particular point that you mentioned about insights and intimacy? How do you see banking technology stacks moving from servicing the products they've invented themselves versus becoming more aligned to driving revenues with customer insights for banks? So, you know, you, you know my passion for watching these new technology companies outside of banking and trying to learn from them. Um, and the short answer to your question is banks cannot make the shift from the technology they have in place today, which is designed purely to process financial products and to risk manage that financial product to a technology stack that's built around understanding the customer. It is a fundamental shift um, that is just impossible for every bank that is running its business day in, day out to make that change. Um, banks over many, many decades have built a technology stack that doesn't represent the needs of the customer. Very clear. Whereas Google, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, and many others in that, in that group have built technology with a primary purpose to learn as much as they can about yeah. my needs, my preferences, my habits, my desires, with a secondary purpose to then say, how can I satisfy that need, that desire, that habit, that preference? Um, for example, Amazon, they learn about who I am by offering me books. They learn if I buy books, I also buy other things, people like you. So they're learning about me. They're learning about what other people like me do by offering a marketplace of things I need. And then what does that give Amazon? It gives them the intelligence to build their own products. Amazon's basics, 27,000 product lines. Um, similar to Netflix. Netflix learn about me. What do I consume? And I'm consuming other people's content, not Netflix to start with. I'm watching it. They're working when I drop out. They're working when I watch back to back. They're liking the titles. They can suggest. It's all about intimacy to Andrew Tarver. Um, and then what can they do with that data? They can produce their own content. The architecture that supports the Spotify's, the Netflix, the Amazons, etc., is fundamentally different to the processing and risk management architecture of a bank. So to me, a legacy bank just cannot change it to support it. I think, you know, I've worked, as, as of you, with many, many banks inside MIA, outside, globally. Um, they are not going to make that shift. The challenger banks, different story. Um, and it's probably why you see some of the legacy banks building a challenger side by side, a greenfield, because actually you have an opportunity to build the architecture differently. Um, and I, I'm yet to see a true challenger adopt this model and thinking where you build absolutely around the customer need and then a secondary thought is around how you satisfy that through a marketplace and the third is then how do i manufacture and personalize products based on that data based on the individual information and the marketplace information and the reason why is most of the challenges have investors who fund them and most of those investors will also be motivated by so you're building a bank you have to hit bank economics at some point so they turn you yeah. into a bank as you, over time they may allow you to start as a data company and a cool customer experience but eventually they'll put pressure on you from an economics perspective what does that leave it leaves a door open for amazon google facebook and apple it paves the way for a new customer concentric model that leaves banks in probably one or two roles you're going to be the marketplace provider of financial products and you may partner with some of these fagma companies 
um, if they decide to bring you into their circle. But I think, you know, the, the writing is on the wall unless you start the challenger and unless you start to think differently. Um, I think that's the key part. Well, I'm going to pick on one of one of the themes in, in your answer there on marketplaces, Andrew, and link it to SME banking and corporate banking as well, because we live in a region where uh, we're a very regulated industry. Um, and yet more and more banks are beginning to see the value in scale and access and insights with platforms. Now, I know you've been wor working closely with various banks on SME banking uh, and even corporate banking. How do you see SME banking, corporate banking becoming a platform driven reinvention, which drives more customers into banking? Interesting question. It's a very typical banking question that you've asked, um, and rightly so. And why do I think it's a typical banking question? A customer is a customer. Yeah. I don't look at a customer or a bank and say, this is a stack for personal, this is a stack for SME, this is a stack for corporate, this is a stack for you know, aliens from Mars. It, it doesn't matter. As in a customer as a customer. You need yeah. a central platform that allows you to understand the need of your customer. Whether it's singular, whether it's a small company, whether it's a big company, it doesn't matter. And lots of people in a bank will tell me it does, it does, they're all very different. Every human being is different, but Facebook manages to build a profile around it. So does Google, so does Apple. As in banks need to start thinking differently and stop pigeonholing you know, groups of companies. Um, and what do I mean by that? There is more data that can be made available to make decisions for different types of customers. And most banks would say to you, but I can ingest so much more information around treasury and finance and different departments of a corporate business. That's because you don't really understand the personal customer because you pull back such little information. Historically, you think it's much more simplistic than personal banking model. I can guarantee you a human brain is far more complicated than a, a big organization. Yeah. Um, but a bank doesn't look at it that way. Why? Because they're risk managing because they're looking at it as a traditional way of managing their customer base. Um, and therefore, going back to the, the, the question of, a platform can support every nuance of an individual by the data that can be ingested <clears throat> and the analytics can run on it, because yeah. we've been, that's been proven by the Facebooks and the Googles. If we use a similar paradigm to say, actually, we can ingest through a platform as many data sources as possible, we can then run the analytics on that data to understand the need of that customer, whether the personal or whether a massive corporate. And then we can express that need into a marketplace of financial products. And that marketplace may be only one bank, i.e. your own. Therefore, you're satisfying the need of it, but you're building the technology stack that gives you the future extensibility of extending that marketplace for products where you don't maybe offer the best product. But at its core, an SME or a corporate banking platform is the same in its architecture as the personal banking. So SME banking and corporate banking are going to be key to the fortunes of the banking industry in building trust in this region. I mean, even, even the UAE today has seen uh, a significant increase in the uh, non-performing loan ratios that we had in the banking industry. And at the same time, as those non-performing loan ratios go up, We've seen technology discussions around cloud computing and even the setup of new payment agencies become extremely popular in the industry in the UAE. So 
With that background, there's another topic that seems to be making it onto the agenda of most banks in the region, which is around open banking. Now, you're in Europe where you've seen the benefits of open banking for all industries. How would you say we could learn from some of the lessons in open banking for MENA as a region as well? Yeah, so open banking is a really interesting topic. Um, I was a massive advocate for the release of the data. Um, and what, by, what I mean by that is essentially every bank held customer data in their walled garden and they held it close to themselves. They didn't want anyone else to access it. It was their kind of secret source, their, their, their treasure trove around me as an individual. And they were forced by regulation, and it's certainly in the UK and in Europe, to yeah. basically make that more, avail make more, more available. Now, that's quite sad that they're being forced to do it. Um, I would hope that other regions, Canada, Australia, MIA, etc., are much more proactive in saying, this is good. This is the right thing for us to do and get ahead of it without a regulator using a stick to do it. Um, because the opportunity that it, open banking presents um, should be something that banks embrace, my personal opinion. But, you know, UK and Europe, we started off with the stick, not the carrot. Yeah. Um, other regions, I think, will be led by some of the carrot and banks proactively you know, stepping ahead with this. What does open banking mean in Europe and UK? It's been access to current accounts. So how do I, as an individual, get access to a current account from one of my banks with consent? And how does that bank then make it available through APIs for me to consume? So I can give consent to a third party. So a new app can basically go and ingest this data from the banks and then use that transaction data to run some of the intelligence I've been talking about today. Um, now, banks saw that as a threat, which is why everyone went really slowly, which is why everything was delayed. Typical banking behavior, um, which was we can't hit the deadlines. We don't want to basically comply. We'll take some fines. We'll get a slap wrist. Um, no. Again, they didn't embrace the spirit of what this could provide. Um, and I don't see it as open banking anymore. I see it as open finance and even more so I see it as open data. Um, and if you think about that, I should have access as an individual to all my data across all industries and all companies. Uh, I should be empowered. Yeah. And if I'm empowered and then that is, that is you know, something that I can uh, access, then all the data analytics that could run on that provides a really rich view of me as an individual. And going back to my kind of um, technology pattern, if you understand my needs, you can start to help me with my life or my business. Mm -hmm. Now, are banks well set up for that? The ingestion yeah. of data, the, the, the paradigm of open finance or open data, absolutely not. Are Apple, Facebook, Google with their data model absolutely primed to extend that data model to just add finance as the data set to it? Yes. And that's, that's the killer blow, which is it's much easier for a, one of the Fagma companies to come in and extend their data model, add finance, learn about me, run the analytics on it, and then help me through a marketplace. Yeah. providers than it is for a bank to ingest someone else's transaction or account data model or any other data about me as an individual and run those analytics. And therefore, I think, again, you're playing to the cards in the hand of the more intelligent, the more nimble, the more challenger, the more data technology companies. And the banks need to think about what their position is here. There will always be a need for a bank to provide financial products. I don't think Amazon, Facebook, Google, Apple have the desire to do it. And I think their moves with partnerships with 
City and partnerships with Goldman's, etc., have demonstrated very clearly they've got no real interest in getting to financial products. But actually, as a bank, I've got to sit there and say, have I got the technology that makes all of my financial products available through APIs fully digitally today? And the answer is most don't. And therefore, you're falling behind even further because there will be an amazing experience built by one of the FAGMA companies that builds on the insight and learning of the individual and their need, and then a request that gets fired into a set of financial providers, product providers, and you can't respond. And if you can't respond because your technology is not good enough, and you can't respond in the more medium to long term with personalized financial products, see you later. You're out of business. Um, and I think that's the reality check of the flexibility of the infrastructure you've got to build. You will not be able to satisfy the need of your customers, starting with personal, getting very quickly to SME, and then longer um, tail is corporate. You will not be able to provide for the need of those unless you are able to digitally manufacture products dynamically through APIs, making it available to other channels, other distribution channels for customers, because you won't be the only distribution channel in the future as a bank. Well, just picking on the theme, you mentioned big tech many times there already, and that's actually the theme of my next question. Uh, we saw the tie-up between Amazon and Goldman Sachs. Um, it, it, on August the 3rd, Google announced that it was tying up with six of the partners uh, around Google Pay. There's even talk of a, a Google current account. We saw Apple launch uh, its own Apple Card last uh, last year, and, and Facebook is, is dealing with the nuances of its own digital currency. So given, Andrew, these, these facts are very much uh, on the minds of many banks as they begin to consider what do they look at uh, essentially reinventing, how do you see big tech itself becoming uh, uh, something for banks to be mindful of in how they drive their agendas for reinvention? So if you put it as a competition between banks and um, big tech, it would be like Naveed getting in the ring with Anton Joshua. <laughs> It would last about three one. seconds. I would probably lose that one. Yeah. Um, you, you know, banks just can't compete. And, you know, even, even using the word compete kind of makes me smile of it's just such a mismatch. Um, what they need to do is collaborate. And you're starting to see that in the market, which is the announcement of where Google are going in terms of the partnerships they have, the strike the six in the marketplace where Apple have gone with Goldman's in a very successful relationship, um, where Facebook tried to go with Libra and bringing in the financial institutions and other institutions to support that, um, and where Amazon ultimately will go, and you know, there are so many relationships in the background with the Amazon are striking in this place. It is about collaboration. It is about working with the big tech companies, and it's about that kind of admission of, I just don't know the customer in the way they do, but they don't wanna sell financial products. They don't want to risk manage that. They don't want to build balance sheets. They can't do risk management well. They don't have the infrastructure to do the processing. Our, our tech isn't great, but we do it. That's what our job is. And so it's kind of like build that relationship and work out what your role is. Um, you know, and I spent my career telling people who work with me and clients, stop trying to be someone you're not. As in, you know, if you're an electrician, do the electrics. Don't try and, you know, do the plumbing and build the wall as well. Because the yeah. likelihood is, you know, something will go wrong at some point. For the banks, it's like work on your product. 
You make all your money by selling products, by processing, by risk managing. Put all of your effort into it. Don't spend billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars on trying to build out the customer experience and the customer layer. If actually you could strike a partnership that actually was very, very reciprocally good for you. Look at Goldman's and look at Apple. You know, Goldman's are not trying to build the world's greatest interface. They've got Apple to do that. Apple have got the reach of billions of individuals. Goldman's have got the risk management infrastructure and the product infrastructure that makes Apple great. And, you know, vice versa, Apple have got the customer experience that makes them great by working with Goldman's. That's the relationship you want to start to see in the market. Now, what that creates is, you know, depending on which number you use, there's probably about 10,000 banks or credit unions in the world. Yeah. There, there aren't enough tech companies to basically go one by one pairing off. So who's going to be the winner and the loser in this? Um, and this is where I keep coming back to marketplace. I, as a Apple or a Facebook or a Google, will have a marketplace of financial product providers. I may yeah. strike a relationship with one to start with and learn, as of Apple, as of um, Google, etc. But they will very quickly expand it into being hundreds and thousands. Why? Why not? Yeah. You know, this is the point. Apple don't just offer one app to do something on the App Store. They offer millions. They offer yeah. variety. They offer choice because they recognize that every customer's need is different. And therefore, there may be a supplier out there who can supply against that need. This is the big change. There will be a set of experiences which lead to a marketplace of financial products. As a bank, you have to be really good at making your products available, open banking, open finance, through APIs, through a platform, and you have to be able to dynamically manufacture your products and price them, and in the future, remark them to keep that intimacy to make sure that you're risk management managing appropriately. This is the premise, this is the underlying foundations of what I built as a company. It is my true belief, and it's where the market seems to be going, which COVID has only accelerated. Well, thank you, Andrew. I mean, it's given me uh, a lot to think about there, particularly the point about, you know, don't change who you are. And and, and I think it lends to a theme uh, that Yuri on, in the first episode was talking about of what's not going to change in banking. You mentioned it as well, or what's not going to change in banking. And uh, I think I'll I'll actually wrap up with that to, to drive a discussion where you've been pretty good at being able to get us to challenge your own assumption most days to become very customer centric. And uh, as we look at what's not changing in banking, as we look at the emergence of more new technologies such as uh, blockchain and crypto and AI in many facets, and the concerns around even some regulators may even question uh, how marketplaces may work as well uh, for us in this region. Um, the question I have for you, Andrew, at the end is really, what attributes uh, would you say would be relevant for leadership to have in this region, leadership and banking? What attributes and skills would leadership and banking have to be able to, to drive that reinvention of banking, uh, given the discussion that we've had today? So I work, as you do, with lots and lots of banks, lots of leaders, um, the executive level. And if I were to be in that position, which I never will, um, I would do what Reed Hastings did at Netflix. Okay. You know, most people think Netflix was, you know, what it is today from day one. It wasn't. It was a DVD delivery company. 
And what he did is basically create a management team to the side that basically was in charge of setting up and running the streaming company, the digital version. Um, why did he do that? Because he knew that the management team that he had in place to run the DVD delivery company was not fit for purpose to build a digital capability. They would be constrained by their thinking. They would be constrained by their learned behavior. Um, and they'd be constrained by the revenue stream that they had today, um, which was 100% compared to the 0% of the digital streaming. Um, most banks and most companies, when they try and follow what Reed Hastings did, kind of make it a subunit that sits under innovation, that sits under something that basically has no power. Um, you have to give it that freedom to kind of run it. Um, as a separate company with a different way of thinking. So that's my first thing, which is it is impossible for a bank to ask their executives to change the way they do things when the way they do things today is the way they make the bank makes money. You will always fall back into that learned behavior fact. And I've seen it time and time again. These programs of great new ideas last for about one or two years or one CIO or the next CIO or the next CEO or the next product owner or there's always a change in personnel, which means actually something is at risk. So that's the first thing, set it aside, give it its funding and then let it go. Um, the second part is what's the makeup of the individuals who go into it? And I see this as, you know, having worked in big corporates and then having started up a number of companies, what you need to do is get the mix of the individuals right first. Mm -hmm. today, today, I've talked about customer. You have to have someone who is passionate about helping customers, about thinking about customers, about learning about them, about building a profile, about representing them, about building that trust. This isn't about data abuse. This is about data consent. How do you ingest and then how do you build a consent model that allows you to build a trusted relationship with customers that allows them to say, help me? Yeah. Now you know about me, help me. And help me can be in many forms. Go back to the Amazon model. Firstly, help me get books. Now look at them. They can help mm -hmm. you do pretty much everything. Um, so first and foremost is someone who's passionate about that. Not, oh, it's good to say that customers are really important. I'll keep saying that in the interview. Someone who's got it, if you snap them in half, it would say customer. Um, the second is someone who really understands where this technology can go. But has the context of what's possible in financial services. Well, I, I, I think you gave a very broad answer uh, to the question on leadership that's going to drive uh, the reinvention for, for banking. Um, Andrew, there's so many reflections based on your discussion today on intimacy, on how technology stacks could be driving more insights into how new products are developed, uh, and more importantly, how we can go back to the simplicity of understanding the individual and how we reinvent banking. Um, can I just wrap up therefore by saying thank you Andrew very much for your time today. It's been a privilege to get to talk to you today and uh, I look forward to continuing the dialogue as we look at reinventing banking in the industry. Thank you Andrew for your time.